So this is going to be a short service tonight. I'm not going to preach a long sermon right now. Um, although when we dismiss, uh, I'm going to uh, walk us through some scriptures for a few minutes. And after we dismiss, the, the ladies are going to continue leading some worship. And so we're going to officially be done after we apply the ashes and have a, a moment of praying a blessing over everyone. But then when that's done, we're just going to keep worshiping. And the service that we've planned is very short, but if the Asbury revival happened when we're done, then this is going to be a really long night, and we would love it. It would be amazing if that happened. But I love all of the firsts that we're experiencing together right now in our new church. This is our first Ash Wednesday service as a new church. And so I'd like us to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, the scriptures will all be up on the screens, but if you want to follow along... Um, In your copy of the scriptures, we'll be in Luke chapter 3. Pastor Don referenced the 40-day temptation of Jesus that happened at the beginning of his ministry, and that's one of the biblical frameworks that we use for uh, an Ash Wednesday service. And I love how Don uh, reminded us that this concept of Ash Wednesday and Lent and preparation for Easter It's been around a long time. So we're we're a Protestant church. In in a lot of Protestant circles, they don't do Ash Wednesday or Lent services like this. But it's, it's, it's something that's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in different forms. And the temptation of Jesus, the 40 days after his baptism and before he began his ministry, is kind of a pattern in some ways of how we approach these 40 days prior to Easter. So I just want to walk through the scriptures, and I want to make a few observations that will help us uh, respond to this Ash Wednesday moment, but it will also help prepare us for these six weeks leading up to Easter. So in Luke chapter 3, we'll start in verse 21. And the scripture says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Now this this word opened, the heavens were opened, it's not as strong in English as its Greek counterpart. In fact, when Mark told the story, Mark used the word torn. The heavens were torn open, and that's really a better translation than our English word opened. Uh, Did did any of you see the very first James Bond movie when Daniel Craig was playing Bond? So Casino Royale, the the greatest Bond film ever made. (laughs) There's a scene at the opening of that movie where there's this crazy parkour chase. Do you remember that scene? Uh, Bond is chasing this guy who's doing these incredible parkour stunts. It kind of put parkour on the map. But if you remember the details of the movie, in this opening scene, the guy that he's chasing races toward this wall, and there's a little small hole in the sheetrock wall, and he leaps through the hole. He kind of contorts and twists, and he gets his body, and it's super impressive. But then the camera just kind of freezes on the wall for a second or two, and then Bond just crashes through the wall. So Daniel Craig doesn't try and like twist through. He just smashes the wall. It just splinters as he's chasing the guy. That's what the word torn means. When the heavens were opened, when the heavens were torn open, it it tells us that the Holy Spirit was so ready to descend on Jesus that the heavens didn't just gently part for the spirit to fall on Jesus. They, they, They were ripped open when the spirit came upon Jesus. 
And then a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And those are powerful words, aren't they? You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. I think there are few things in life as powerful as a parent's blessing. I have watched grown men and grown women still look for the blessing of a parent that they didn't get when they were young. In fact, when when Jacob swindled Esau out of their father Isaac's blessing, Esau said to his father, bless me, bless me too, my father. The scripture says he cried out with this mournful, loud voice. And fortunately, um, we're not at the mercy of the people who did or didn't speak into our lives. It seems like there's a way that other people can step in and stamp a blessing on us if we didn't have a particular blessing in our life. But but in this moment, um, as God, as part of the Trinity, Jesus didn't need to hear those words from heaven. But as man, as the representative of humanity, Jesus was modeling for us and teaching us something so powerful. Ministry begins with the knowledge of who you are and whose you are. If you have tried to discover who you are, apart from pondering whose you are, you haven't landed on it yet. Um, One of the greatest problems of our modern world today, I think, is that so many people want the blessings of Scripture without attaching to the God of Scripture. Uh, People will look in front of the mirror and say their daily affirmations. People will stand in front of a full-length mirror and say their their self-affirmations. You know, uh, I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful, I'm wonderful. I can do it. I've, I've got this. I'm powerful. And you know what? That's true. But the reason it's true is not because we are innately those things. It's true because of whose we are. If if our source for our value and our purpose and our life is only us, that is not a very deep pool to drop an anchor in. But if the author of the human story If the creator of humanity says, you are my daughter, you are my son, I wanted you, I called you, I love you, that is something that we can anchor a life to, to the degree that we do not know who we are, because we have not paused to ponder whose we are, uh, our life will have fractures in it. Our foundation will have some gaps in it, and we will be vulnerable to other voices that want to tell us who we are and whose we are. So Jesus showed us how ministry begins. He showed us how a great life gets built. And then it says in verse 23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old. Boy, that was a long time ago. (laughs) Felt like I was 30 forever until it was 20 years ago. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. This is kind of a sweet verse because rabbis began their ministry at 30 years old. So even though Jesus wasn't a formal rabbi, this just shows God's sensitivity to cultural traditions. 
and cultural issues. He didn't put any unnecessary barriers in front of Jesus because he was going to have enough of them to deal with anyway. But then at this point in the narrative, Luke um, pauses the story and he inserts the genealogy. Since Jesus was not actually the son of Joseph, Luke inserts the genealogy here to show us Jesus' descent all the way back to God. Near the end of the genealogy in verse 37, it refers to the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And then immediately after this moment, our passage for tonight begins in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so can we just pause and, and absorb those words for a second? Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you know that God has the right to do that with his daughters and with his sons. Sometimes the Spirit will be on you. God will be filling your life and leading you, and the place that he will lead you um, is a test or a trial. Jessica experienced a really tough time in her job a few years ago, and she was talking to one of her friends about it, and her friend said to her, this cannot be God's will. God would never let that happen. This can't be God's will for you. And we talked about it afterwards, and we realized that those sweet and compassionate and defensive words were so misguided. We asked ourselves, why not? Why wouldn't God ask a special daughter to serve or minister in a place that was difficult and and needed um, something there? Uh, I, I don't want to discourage you. And actually, this won't discourage you because you already know it. Um, The promise is rescue, not avoidance. The promise is rescue in the middle of trouble, not the avoidance of all trouble. See, Jesus was setting a pattern here. This is more than a story about the life of Christ. He was setting a pattern of how God works in the lives of sons and daughters. Um, Let me just read to you real quick. Um, You can stay in Luke 3. Psalm 91 is one of the most popular promise psalms in the Bible. There's so many words about God's protection in the Bible. Um, In Psalm 91, it starts out saying, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's pretty awesome. Verse three, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all their ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It sure sounds like there's a promise of avoidance here. 
If you really rest in God's presence, you're going to be spared from all of these things. They're not going to touch your life. Um, But then in verse 14, God himself speaks, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. And let me just give you one more. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. So when everything is breaking loose, when everything is falling apart, God is there. God's with us. And so, yes, when hard times touch your life, pray that you can avoid them. Pray to be rescued, pray to be spared, but also realize that God might want to meet you in that moment and work an incredible good in the very middle of that thing that is so difficult. Jesus was filled with the Spirit and then was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then it says that there he was spending 40 days tempted by the devil. And I've always uh, kind of adored this verse because, uh, did you remember that Jesus was called the last Adam? Do you remember that? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus was the last Adam. Do you remember how Satan tempted the first Adam? I'll, I'll just remind you, I know we all remember, but in Genesis 3, 1, Satan, manifesting as a serpent, said to Adam and Eve, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The very first thing that Satan, manifesting as a serpent, did in his temptation of humanity was to hang a gigantic question mark over the word of God. Did God really say? Did did you hear right? Are you sure we got that um, exactly Right? Um, And listen, Satan, who is a counterfeiter, um, not a creator, who's a a copycat, not, not an artist, not an original, he repeats the same temptation with the last Adam. And by the way, he has used that language with every Adam in between. If you are the Son of God, um, and let's hold that, that for just a second. Um, And and let's remember one more time that it was the spirit that brought him to that place. Um, Jessica and I met in Bible college. She was 19, I was 20. Uh, We were enrolled in a one-year residential school of ministry that our church hosted, and then we were also students in a Bible college as well. So we were very busy. One of our professors in Bible college was teaching on the Holy Spirit. And she made a statement to us. She said, the Holy Spirit's nature is like water. It always goes to the deepest places first. And water does that, doesn't it? If I were to to pour this out, this water is not going to go about this far and then just hover above the platform. It will fall until it hits a bottom. And the Holy Spirit always goes after the deep places. Uh, Hang with me for a second. There was nothing deeper in Jesus' life than the question of his identity. 
He came out of the water hearing the father affirming his identity. He goes into the wilderness where Satan questions his identity. There was nothing deeper in Jesus' life. Um, Where this is taking us in Lent and in preparing for Easter is the question of what is the deepest need in our life? What is the greatest thing that we need? There was nothing deeper than that question of who he was. That was the center of the controversy. In fact, how many of you are watching The Chosen right now? And those of you that are not watching The Chosen, are you sick of all of us who are watching The Chosen, (laughs) asking you if you're watching The Chosen? Well, if you are watching The Chosen right now, You are seeing a brilliant depiction of this question. Everywhere Jesus went, the question was, who is this? Is he the one we've been waiting for? And that question was asked in front of multiple factions. Everywhere he went, you had Romans who did not want a revolutionary Messiah. You had religious zealots who were waiting for a revolutionary Messiah. You had religious leaders who said he is so other than what we thought he couldn't be the Messiah. And you had hurting normal people saying, oh, please be the Messiah. But the constant question, the seminal issue of his life was, is he the son of God? And the Holy Spirit led him to a place where the deepest question of his life would be put under scrutiny and would be resolved. Satan tempted Jesus three times. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God and you're supposed to rule over all the kingdoms of this world, just bow down and worship and we'll just, we'll just do it now. I'll give it to you now. If you are the son of God, throw yourself from the top of the temple because surely the angels will lift up the son of God and, and, and no harm will befall you. I wonder what the deepest part of your life is. I wonder what your deepest hurt is or your deepest hope or your deepest doubt. See, if you and I choose to relate with the Holy Spirit In the shallow end of the pool, that's where the Spirit will relate with us. But where the Spirit wants to go with us is deeper. The Spirit would like to go to the deepest places first and work in our lives there. When Jess and I were those students and becoming best friends and becoming a couple, Our favorite preacher was an older gentleman named Dr. Seville Phillips. And the first time he preached, he used Psalm 2, which was a messianic psalm. And in that psalm, God was speaking to his son and God said, you are my son, Um, ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. So God was speaking to his son. Hey, if if you want to know what I want to give you, ask me for the nations, they're yours. And then Dr. Phillips told us this story. When he was a little boy, his dad wanted to buy him a two-wheel bicycle. And he was very old, and it was way back in the day when towns had a general store. And so they they loaded up the station wagon, they drove into the general store, and they were going to get a bike for Seville Phillips. And, And so they were walking to the back of the store where the bikes were, and on the way to the back, a tricycle caught his eye. And he thought, you know, I'm actually still a very small boy. 
maybe this tricycle would be better for me than the bicycle. And, and he asked his dad, and the dad said, are you, are you sure that's what you want to do? And he said, yeah, I think that would be better for me. The dad said, fine. So they, they took the tricycle and they were wheeling it up to the front. And as they were walking to the front, he saw a wagon. And he got even more excited. Ooh, that looks so fun to pull through our yard. That looks so fun to ride in. Maybe somebody could pull me in this wagon. So he negotiated a trade. And then as they continued, he kept negotiating smaller and smaller trades until he left the store with a little toy truck about this big that broke on the way home. His dad was prepared to buy him treasure, but he opted for trivia. He opted for, for a trinket. And listen, that same thing can happen with God. This is what I want to do with your life. This is what I would like to accomplish in and through you if you'll let me. Um, but if you insist on trivia, if you insist on trinkets, okay. See, if we yield to the Holy Spirit, whose nature is like water, God will work on the things that matter most. And so as we begin the six weeks leading up to Easter, uh, what matters most in your life? Where do you most desperately need God to work? Um, listen to this verse at the end of the narrative. In verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. Did, did you see the shift in the language there? He went into the wilderness filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit, but he came out of this time in the power of the Spirit. When we yield to the deep work of God in our life, power results. Um, when we respond to these deep wrestlings and, and promptings and stirrings of God in our heart, there's power released. And so the reason we're doing an Ash Wednesday service here at Hope City Church, the reason we're thinking this way is because your friends and your family and your city and our 210 corridor and the next generation and the world needs us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we shift here in just a second to prayer and receiving the ashes, some of our pastors and our elders are going to pray over us and they're going to be commissioning us into a deep season of wrestling with the Holy Spirit. And remember who we're dealing with. We are dealing with the creator of the universe, the one who counted the numbers of hairs on your head, the one who is powerful enough to change your life forever. So this could be a season in our life where we get free from some of the deepest insecurities or wounds or struggles or addictions. I, I want to be free and I want you to be free. I want our church to be free, and I want every person who walks along the Thompson Creek Trail to sense the freedom and the power of God. Listen, um, I'll end with this. Jesus, he didn't even have to do exorcisms on people to get demons to leave their lives. When Jesus showed up, they just started leaving. 
Well, one of the things I love about Jesus, I love the temptation story because the very first thing he did in his ministry was he went right after the strong man. Remember, the first Adam collapsed in a garden in front of Satan. The last Adam stood strong in the wilderness. You know, Jesus didn't warm up first. He didn't practice his son of God fighting skills on some lesser demons. He went right after the prince of demons. It was so easy for Jesus to drive out demonic forces because he had already dealt with the prince of demonic forces. I've been praying that God would make my life repellent to demonic strongholds. I've been asking God to make my life a living exorcism. And as one of your pastors, you want me to be that kind of person. As Jessica's husband, she wants my life to be a life that repels the demonic. As my wife, I need her to live a life that's repellent to spiritual forces and inviting of the Holy Spirit. So I want to invite Amanda and Natalie back up here, and, and we're going to sing one more uh, song as we get started with the prayer time. And, and I want us to use this, this moment to, to start identifying what is that deepest place? If we have 40 days plus Sundays before Easter, what could God do in a life through 40 days of seeking and saying, everything's on the table, nothing is off limits, You can change what you want to change, heal what you want to heal. I am all in. I am all yours. That's the invitation of Ash Wednesday. That's the invitation of the Lenten season. And and that's why we're here tonight.